Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Opinions and statements of guests not affiliated with EverAg are their own and do not reflect the views of EverAg. The accuracy of their statements cannot be guaranteed by EverAg. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by EverAg Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain market. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Deer hunting is over in Wisconsin, the Packers are miserable, and it's time for the annual Midwest trek to family. Hugging, smiling, and spending hours trying to converse with the family and your very own cousin, Eddie. Let's get started with the review of today's markets. Today is Tuesday, November 29th. December 22 corn closed down three at 6.65 and three quarters. January 23 soybeans closed up two and a quarter cents at 14.59 and a half. Turning to our guest, this week it's our privilege to have Scott Gurlt, Chief Economist of the American Soybean Association with us. Thanks for joining us today, Scott. Oh, happy to be here, Britt. Thanks for inviting me. The American Soybean Association was formed over 100 years ago, and it's obviously changed over the last century. What are its aims today, and how has that changed over the course of time? Yeah, um, we, we are fortunate to be uh, an organization that was founded over 100 years ago in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. Um, you know, we celebrated our 100-year anniversary. And, uh, ASA got its start um, in Indiana on a farm by two brothers um, in 1920. And I think it's pretty amazing if you stop and think about in 1920, soybeans were really a new thing in the United States, but there was a vision of the local farmers at the time um, to found this organization to help farmers better know how to utilize beans and to grow demand for it. Um, and we've really kept that up um, over this time. We've, our core mission of advocating for U.S. soy farmers and policy and trade really hasn't changed. But um, what that may look like uh, decade to decade um, has changed over time. I mean, 40 years ago, we were working on establishing um, trade relations with an office in China um, to help develop that market. And that was a little bit out there at the time. But now uh, we export almost a third of our soybeans to China. So that long-term investment has, has paid off very well for soybean farmers. Um, you know, it's a $14 billion a year market for U.S. soybean. Um, today, our efforts um, are focusing on you know something a little bit different. Um, conservation and sustainability has become a lot larger topic. Um, you know, we're looking at things like precision ag, development of bio-based products, and they're all new things. And you know, as we look back in forty years, um, they'll have developed like the China market. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities for farmers um, to help with. With climate change, and we're seeing new opportunities for them to take advantage of that. So, um, really, we, like I said, we do continue to advocate on behalf of soy farmers, and, and our, really our three largest buckets are protecting the soybean farmers' freedom to operate, building domestic demand, and expanding international demand and market access. And, and those things are, are changing. Um, you know, we will continue to work on those things decade to decade, um, but just some of the specifics of, of what that might look like might change. I want to talk a little bit more about those last two buckets that you mentioned. First off being trade and foreign relations. How is the American Soybean Association working to put U.S. soybeans in a more competitive position in the global marketplace? And how 
do you see the greatest potential for the U.S. to gain global market share in a competitive protein environment? Yeah. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time working on these things. Um, so ASA uh, works, um, you know, on a lot of the domestic policy to help with trade. So, um, you know, we're, we're very active in trying to get nominations, our nominees in place in the administration to uh, promote U.S. Uh, trade, U.S. Ag exports um, specifically. Um, you know, right now that um, a couple of key positions aren't in place and we are very much um, pushing to try to get those filled uh, because those those positions matter. Uh, whenever there's an issue, they're, they're the troubleshooters in the U.S. government. Um, we, you know, we also um, push for trade free trade agreements and um, we'll continue to do that. Um, those have uh, been very good for U.S. agriculture. They've opened up a lot of new access through time. Um, you know, as far as how things may develop in the future. We've seen some new markets, uh, Northern Africa, specifically Egypt, has really come on to become one of our major soybean buyers, and, and that will likely continue. And we're seeing other places, um, such as kind of Southeast and Northeast Asia, um, and we've seen some growth in Central America. But I, I think as we're looking at the next 10 years, some of how we trade may look a little bit different. Um, for one thing, I, I've mentioned some of the sustainability. I think that's going to become more and more important. It's not just that you have beans. It's what are the sustainable qualities of your soybeans? And this may not matter for every market, but for some markets, this is going to matter more and more. And the U.S. really has a great advantage here. Um, we have some of the most sustainable soybeans. And so I, I think that's going to continue to drive our growth. And the other thing is, I'm sure we'll get more into it, is um, with more biofuels likely to be produced from soybeans over the next few years, we're likely to be exporting more and more soybean. So we could see some shift from doing mainly whole beans to doing whole beans and soybean. Um, and that, that requires a slightly different infrastructure. And we're seeing a lot of private market investment for that infrastructure. Um, so, so we are seeing some shifts that I think will drive some of the trade um, to be slightly different than we've had it the past few decades. You mentioned sustainable fuels. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What is ASA's role in both promoting and educating on the use of biodiesel and sustainable diesel fuel products? And where do you see the future, I guess, of that industry? Yeah, that's that's one of the most exciting things going on in the soybean world, right? Um, so, so probably most of your listeners have heard of Biodiesel, it's been on the in the marketplace for quite a while, and it can be produced from quite a few things, but soybeans have been the primary um, feedstock for it, and it's it's um, had a good growth through the years. But there's a a newer biofuel in the market or coming to market called renewable diesel, and uh, I think sometimes there's some confusion about them because they are both primarily produced from soybean or soybean oil specifically used different feedstocks. Um, biodiesel is oftentimes blended with diesel, um, up to 20%. It, it can go higher, but that's the tip. Renewable diesel meets the same ASTM standards as petroleum, meaning it's uh, chemically identical. So you could drop that in and run it at 100%. Um, so, you know, you can run that through a pipeline. You don't have um, blending to worry about. And the California market is... Um, with their low carbon fuel standard has, has really had a lot of demand for 
useful. So we, we've seen um, just phenomenal growth. Um, so just for some scale, you know, we have slightly under 2 billion gallons a year of biodiesel capacity in the country. There are announcements for over 7 billion gallons of renewable. Now, those are announcements. They aren't shovels in the ground. And so not all those will likely get filled. Um, but it shows that there is a lot of interest in it. And so if, if you're going to produce a lot more diesel, you, you need soybean oil. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things like used cooking oil, beef tallow, and they're very profitable to use. Um, but there's only so much of that. And so we are seeing the domestic soybean crushing industry also um, gearing up to be able to produce. So right now we have announcements um, for about a 33% increase in uh, domestic soybean um, crush capacity. Now, again, those are announcements. Not all of those make it. Um, we have we have plenty of, of acres. I know sometimes the question comes up well, with all that increase, you know, we have to grow a lot of new acres or more. The answer is, uh, you know, we can largely do it with what we have now. But um, but it's going to be a lot of new demand. Um, you know, with new crush facilities means higher basis locally for farmers that are um, in those areas. And um, and so it's, it's a very, very exciting time um, of growth, looking at, looking at what's coming down the pipe here. And so ASA has been very involved in supporting this. Um, you know, uh, ASA lobbies on the Hill with EPA about um, renewable vehicle obligations. We, we just saw the extension of the biodiesel tax credit, um, which we're excited to see. Um, as well as one thing that's been a little newer for us is being um, having a bigger presence in California. Um, the, the soybeans are grown there, but given how much of the biofuels are consumed there um, and how active um, their air resources board is inside the policies, uh, we've had to become more active because that's one of our, our big markets. And um, you know, we want to make sure that um, that the best science is being used on a lot of things because. Um, more and more of the policies are being driven by low carbon fuel standards are essentially how much carbon intensity uh, your feedstock has. And so um, soybean, soybean growers, we're having to also become uh, more concerned about that and work on that. How much, um, how many carbon emissions are, are um, created or offset during the process of um, growing soybeans and bring, uh, converting those to biofuels to bring to market. Um, because more and more that's driving the profitability of biofuels and therefore the returns back. So uh, ASA and some of our sister organizations have become um, more involved in that as well, helping um, farmers there by better understanding this, making sure um, the science uh, is being updated, has the funding it needs to be updated so that we can track these things and have um, scores that accurately, accurately reflect what's going on the farm and the subsequent um, to be able to support these. Well, sustainable diesel has certainly been one of the most exciting newfound demand centers for soybeans. And I think it's exciting when we think about the possibilities of what that can do for profitability in our local cash markets. And you alluded to that with improvement on basis. And ultimately, as we see, you know, acres move from corn to beans and back uh, and forth as they do every year, I think it really benefits the corn market as well because uh, overall, when we see newfound demand for soybeans, that means that uh, if we see a, a bigger shift towards those acres, we're going to still continue to see strong demand for the same amount of corn that we had before. So ultimately, I think it's a net-net win for the American producer. It, it absolutely is. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, 
we saw whatever corn had its ethanol motive. Um, you know, it, it pulled soybeans up with it as well, just for the reasons you mentioned. So, um, yeah, this is a good thing uh, all around for American producers. You mentioned Washington a little bit earlier. This uh, new farm bill is just on the horizon. How will you and ASA be involved in the creation of the new bill? Or do you have any aspirations as to what your group would like to see included in the new bill? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say that ASA was actually one of the first groups to release its uh, 2023 Farm Bill priorities. Uh, we did that back in May. Um, we had 12 listening sessions in January and February earlier this year in a farmer survey. So we really went out um, and tried to get as much feedback as we could among our members. Um, and so we have been circulating those priorities already in D.C. Um, and having conversations. So we are very actively engaged and, and look forward um, to the opportunities in the Farm Bill. Um, and some of the things we're specifically asking for, um, first and foremost, um, we need to improve the safety net. Um, and to do that, there really needs to be more funding for the first Title I of the Farm Bill, the safety net um, title. And We've seen through time uh, that spending on Title One and things like our PLC, um, marketing loan programs or current iterations, um, spending on those things has continually fallen through time. Um, the safety net just is not at the same level it used to be. And I think the um, biggest example of that uh, was during the trade war a few years ago with China. Um, soybeans, U.S. soybeans lost a third of their demand, near, practically overnight. And yet, PLC payments were never triggered for soybeans. Um, and those are supposed to provide the price protection. And it's hard to me, for me to think of a situation um, where that's more designed, um, the programs are more designed for than that. And yet, they weren't really there at the time for soybeans. And so, we need to get more resources in the Title I so that we can make some of those fixes. Um, and and for those fixes, specifically what ASA is asking for is a higher reference price um, that's used in calculated PLC payments, and it's also used in ARP. Um, because our, our uh, reference price has essentially always been so high that soybeans have never triggered payments. And along with that, we would like to have a base acre, voluntary base acre update. Um, there's about a 35 million acre discrepancy between soybean planted acres and soybean base acres. Um, so there's you know, when things like the trade war happened, um, even if soybeans had been making payments, there's a lot of those acres that would not have received a payment. And we're also, we also heard during our listening sessions quite a bit um, from producers, especially younger producers, that they're farming on acres that just don't have base for various reasons. You know, they may have 10% of their planted acres are base, 20%. And, um, you know, that's just not an effective safety network. Um, another priority is we want to protect crop insurance. Um, you know, crop insurance has worked very well. Um, it's a very stable, reliable, um, long-term program. So we want to see that continue. Um, we want to enhance accessibility to uh, conservation programs and maintain the voluntary incentive-based approach um, that we currently have going on. Uh, we want to grow investments in the promotion of U.S. commodities globally. So going back to our export conversation, specifically like the MAP and F&D programs that are used to promote um, U.S. ag products overseas. Uh, we'd like to see increased funding for those because it's been flat for, for quite a while. Um, and, and build opportunities for biofuels and bio-based products. So, um, you know, there's there's a, a long list of, um, but those are some of the highlights. And so we've been very actively engaged um, 
I think this is great that you know we we have this chance here in the 2023 uh, farm bill to address some of these um, issues that that um, we've had over the past few years and hopefully get some fixes so that farmers have a safety net that they can rely on uh, whenever things do go south. Well, we certainly appreciate you and your team at ASA's involvement in policy making in the Farm Bill in Washington, continuing to let the voice of the American producer be heard. Critical, uh, especially in years like this. Shifting a little bit to markets, um, what were your takeaways on the latest WASDE report? Certainly, we've got another one coming up here in relatively short order as we turn the calendar to December. And what is your kind of overall outlook um, on supply, uh, soybean supply and demand? We know the balance sheet is tight. What are you What are you looking for? Yeah, so for me, the surprise in the last WASDE, the November WASDE, um, and apparently I wasn't alone. The market was surprised was were the yields, um, the yields going up like they did for soybeans and corn. Um, you know, obviously the dry weather, the drought through a lot of the um, central growing regions has had a, a pretty big impact on the yields. And if, but for soybeans in particular, if you look at the pod counts, um, yields seem to be kind of, the estimated yields at this point seem to be pretty high relative to the pod counts. You have to go back to 2019 to even find kind of comparable year on some of these pod counts. So I've been um, a little pessimistic on yields overall this year. So I was kind of surprised to see those pulled up last month. Um, you know, if I, if I had to guess, you know, I, I still think there's room to pull those back just based on some of the pod, some of those pod counts. Um, the things I'm going to be most closely watching in the upcoming velocities um, are, again, U.S. yields. I think that's um, going to be critical. I'm also looking at um, some of the biofuel numbers. Um, just because of the growth we talked about, I, I did find it interesting last month that when the yield was increased, um, it increased um, ending stocks in the U.S. and crush, and the extra soybean oil from the crush uh, did not, actually was not put towards biofuels; it um, was put towards food and some ending stocks in soybean oil. And so, um, definitely watching that to kind of see what's the expected for crush um, or for biofuels this year with all the new growth. And then the other thing I'm I'm very much watching at this point is South American production. Uh, we saw in the last month's was the Argentine, Argentinian production pulled back some because of dry weather. South America is expected to have a record uh, soybean crop this year. Um, it, but, you know, Brazil's mostly done with their soybean plantings, but they're starting to have some dry weather issues in some parts of the country. Um, you know, th this is going to drive quite a bit, especially with a lot of the transportation issues that the U.S. is having right now, the drought conditions. Um, uh, causing low flows in the Mississippi River. Um, the basis is very high. Um, some of the export rates are a little lagging this year compared to a normal year. Um, potential rail issues. There's a chance we could end up ex extending our export window this year um, just because of all these issues of being able to transport the beans um, to the ports. And so if South America comes on in a big way early, um, we're going to have to be priced to be competitive to um, against South America that move those beans uh, to foreign buyers. And so I think you know, what happens in the next few months uh, with South America, do these dry conditions persist? Does this record crop shrink? Um, I think that's going to have a big, uh, even potentially bigger impact this year just because we could be pushing up um, in some of those export windows. 
Excellent. Well, we uh, are continuing to monitor some of those very same things as we look forward to each coming WASD. Before we part ways here, ASA offers scholarships to high school students looking to pursue careers in agriculture. In what other ways is the ASA hoping to help cultivate the next generation of U.S. farmers and growers? Yeah, um, so ASA has a robust leadership and education continuum um, that helps prepare uh, those interested in becoming a soy industry leader or um, a stronger soy industry leader for their next steps in, in their advocacy journey. Um, you know, and I'm using the word advocacy because at our core, Ameri the American Soybean Association is an advocacy uh, organization, of course. And so um, we offer quite a few programs um, that help with different tools, um, including um, communications, uh, you know, how to communicate with legislators and regulatory impacts social media, um, media in general. And so there's five distinct programs we offer um, to help through those various stages. Um, and so we really target from, as you mentioned, college um, college students um, that can start in some of these leadership um, through more intermediate levels with um, early stage farmers, young farmers, um, to ones that have been um, through the process a little bit longer. and. You know, we do this for uh, our state staffs, our state boards, our national boards. And, uh, and a lot of the board members that have gone through a lot of these programs, or a lot of the people that have gone through these programs, um, might end up being on our board. Um, if, you, if you talk to our board members, they have a lot of experience. And so um, by the time they, they get to um, the ASA's board, they've had a lot of the training and, and understand how to advocate and how to do a lot of critical communication um, uh, with various audiences. And I'd also be remiss um, if I'm talking about leadership and education, um, ASA's efforts to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, you know, AS, agriculture is not excluded from industries that strive to improve and be more inclusive. And it's part of our strategic five-year plan um, that our board, staff, and other stakeholders um, develop to, to try to work on. So, um, you know, we've been working on bringing in um, diverse, diversity speakers and, and reaching out to groups um, that represent minority farmers and see how we can uh, work together. Um, and so, you know, agriculture is, you know, obviously very important um, to, to the one. So we want to be growing leaders to help advocate for that um, and to train them to be ready so that they can do that and, and be ready to tackle these issues that we've been talking about um, so that the larger um, public understands how important it is to each and everyone. Wonderful. Well, Scott, we certainly appreciate the work that you and the American Soybean Association does to promote the future of agriculture, the future of the soybean industry, and to continue and promote usage of U.S. soybeans, not only domestically, but around the world. Thank you again for joining uh, our podcast today. If listeners would like to learn more about the American Soybean Association, or if they'd like to learn more about the American Soybean Association, how can they best get a hold of, of you? Yeah, um, so our website, soygrowers.org, um, has great information and staff contact, including my email on there, which is a great way to get a hold of me. I'm also on social media, on Twitter and LinkedIn, um, if people like to follow. 
And if they would like to become members of the American Soybean Association, um, they can reach out to their state um, state affiliate and sign up through them. Um, we would we would love to represent um, all soybean growers. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Scott. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend, or give us a review. Thank you to Corey Romero, our wonderful producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's show. Mm-hmm.